are listening to Historically, a show where we decolonize history and debunk myths and misinformation taught to you in school and on corporate media. I'm your host, Esha. Today, we have Fran from Mango Press to talk to us about the history of the public relations industry and how it relates to democracy. So this topic has actually gotten even more relevant since the last time we spoke about it because, well, there's a war now. (laughs) Hmm. Well, technically it's not a war, is it? But yeah, it is a war, isn't it? It's a whatever special operation by the Russian military and the US and the UK are totally not sending weapons or training or mercenaries. They're not part of this war at all. Right. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting point, though, because like it's being called a war, but it's not a war. But like it is a war. But like, it is an interesting point, isn't it? Like when is a war? Like there's two sides of there's two militaries fighting each other in the open. I think if, is is that not a war? Yes, of course it's a war. Yeah, but technically, it's not a war. Like legally, it's not a war. But for propaganda purposes, it also is a war. So it's like. It is a war, but it's been called a war by the Western propagandists, but technically it isn't a war. So like, if you're in this sort of camp where... It's definitely a war. Well, no, but what I'm saying, Esha, if you're in this like camp where you're like an anti-imperialist and you want to sort of fight the Western propaganda, you've got to like say, oh, well, technically it isn't a war, but you know full well it is a war. No, you don't. Well, you do because... There is such a thing as a just war. Um, and, uh, so we socialists, like as Lenin said, we're not against all war. We're just against wars of imperialism. Oh yeah, of course. But what I mean is, I mean more in the sense of like legality, the legality of the term being at war. That's just whatever, like the British and Americans made up in like 1949. It means nothing. It kind of does, though, doesn't it? Or, uh, or Russia wouldn't have been so afraid. I mean, it does because it comes with repercussions, doesn't it? Like ec- Not with Russia. No, no, it does because <laughs> if you declare war, then certain economic, global economic repercussions come with it, which is why the Ukraine isn't declaring war on Russia. No, Ukraine is not... No, wait. Russia, as the defender of Donbass, has no reason to declare war on Ukraine because it would just be, like, stupid to... Sure. Because... They're, they're the defensive side, but this, the, the Ukraine hasn't declared war on anybody as the aggressor, which is, it puts them in a weird legal position. Even though they've been war- warring for about eight years, in like there's yeah, exactly. been a civil war for eight years. Yeah, no, no, they called it ATO or anti-terrorist operations. Yeah, yeah, but all these terms are like propaganda in themselves, aren't they, in a way to cover up the fact that it is just like war. Yeah. So it depends on what side you're on to whether it's a war like legally or whether it's a war propaganda wise or whether you just class any sort of conflict like this as a war. If a bomb is falling on me, I'm going to call it a war. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm of that same position. So now um, let's go back almost a little over 100 years ago. And Woodrow Wilson, obviously, as Lenin would say, it is a war between the robbers in Britain and the robbers in Germany to decide who is going to own the colonies, 
steal oil from Turkey. <laughs> but it was 1917 and um, things were a little iffy for the side that America had been smuggling weapons to and also doing a lot more other weird stuff too. So America kind of had to enter the war. Mm-hmm. So Woodrow Wilson set up a committee on public information. Mm-hmm. And the guy we're going to focus on, Edward Bernays, was employed to promote America's war aims in the press. Can you talk about this? Yes. His war in his his work during World War One. So he was hired by, like you say, the American government. I believe he was specialized on not just drumming up American support for World War One, right? Keeping the Americans on side to keep the American like economy running. So he had to keep Latin American countries on board with American interests in World War One, right? That was his job in the Committee for Public Information. That was his job. So that's kind of like where he learned his like craft for the US during that time. It wasn't until after the war that like he's like let loose. But during World War One, he worked for like you said, this thing called the Committee for Public Information. Uh, and it was part of like the Latin American like uh, office. He, he basically just had to keep support for the war domestically abroad uh, and just focusing specifically on like Latin American American business interests. At the time, he he like coined the term psychological. He, he was committing psychological warfare whilst the US was committing actual warfare, right? Yeah, I forgot. For British people, right is like a tick and not a a sign of confusion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This famous and later infamous and thousands of times satirized photo is from World War I. It's the Uncle Sam, I want you. Uh, I want you, which which was already like a play off a British one of Lord Kitchener, right? Okay. So here is the upcoming, I guess, in the Committee of Public Information, it is basically the beginning of the art of what we would call mass persuasion or manufacturing of consent, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you've got to think, right? You made, you talked about Lenin at the start in 1917. So you've got that, like, we're at that period of, human history where uh, the masses are like a thing for the first time so like in, in wars before the, the imperialists could just go and do what they wanted in africa right just go and execute a tribe and write some glorious war tale about it right and they didn't have to get or not say anything and no one would know or not yeah or not say anything but they could also say something and get it didn't matter what the the poor workers in london thought because they couldn't read anyway right they wouldn't mm-hmm. even hear that news but we started living in that age where people were getting given the vote and stuff like this you know the bolshevik revolution had happened so they've got to be concerned about public image a lot more like you know the committee for public information they're, that's exactly what it says on the tin right they they they're a committee who decides what information the public get to see literally propaganda right so that that was like a product of World War One, but after the war, when the fighting... Hold on. So one interesting thing is um, this is where Woodrow Wilson allegedly 
said that the United States would not fight to restore the old empires, but would bring, quote unquote, democracy to all of Europe. And this idea was of, of bringer of democracy was also promoted a lot by Bernays. Yeah, yeah. And like, even, and like, this is a key part of CPI's job at that period, right? When the war ended, Bernays was part of the Paris Peace Conference. Right? Every Westerner knows about this. The past, he was part of the Paris Peace Conference, and his job at that was, was to do what you said, which was to promote America's achievements and accomplishments in the name of democracy, right? Promote American ideals at the Paris Peace Conference. This idea that, you know, America was not going to come in and decide the victor of the old empires. It was now it was going to reform them into being democratic or, you know, so basically that was his job. So throughout World War One, he worked on keeping American interests like rolling throughout the war. Not not so much concerned on like the wish that the wishes of the American public, but making sure American businesses kept things going and got the right message on the war. And then at the Paris Peace Conference, his job is to push American ideals on other countries who are at the Paris Peace Conference, so basically like the world leaders at that, at that time, right? And then after the war, this is when he realises that like the CPI, the stuff that he'd been doing in the CPI, like didn't have to just be used for attacking the enemy or attacking neutral states that you're trying to like convince during a peace conference, but could actually be used for like, you know, the people of your own country and could be applied not only to push war propaganda, but also like peacetime marketing. So, you know, the same could be applied for the, what we've just done to convince people that the US entering World War One is the correct idea. For liberty, of course, and not to actually help Britain keep its colonies and divide up. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, obviously, like as every non-idiot knows, what the U.S. did was every European country got to keep its colonies except for Germany. And then they redivided the colonies. No one got its freedom. And in fact, they armed some really horrible counter-revolutionaries in order to stop people, from, in order to have like because there was a big rebellion going on, they quickly cut up these countries to keep capitalism alive, basically. Mm -hmm. Here's here's the Bernays quote that he said after he'd finished working for the CPI at the end of the Paris Peace Conference. He said, there was one basic lesson I learned in the CPI, the efforts uh, comparable to those applied by the CPI to affect the attitudes of enemy or neutrals and people of this country could be applied with equal facility to peacetime pursuits in other words, what could be done for a nation in war at war could be done for organizations, uh, aka you know business interests and people, politicians, whatever, in a nation at peace. So like that's the light bulb moment for Western marketing, basically. That 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 post-war realization that he had. Okay, so then he comes back to New York in around 1920. Literally straight after the war, yes, yeah, so like 1919. But that, that, this is his career now, like for the majority of his life. What is he doing now? Like, did he set up a company or what did he do? So inspired by that quote, um, he gets back to New York and straight away, like sets up a, like a PR firm, the world's first PR firm, public relations. Like he coined, coined that term, public relations. So, you know, straight away, 
and that was it because he came up with a new form of advertising. So before advertising was very much like, if you are sick, buy this medicine, right? So it was very much like to the point advertising uh, wasn't how it is today, right? That like, you know, Coca-Cola doesn't, they, their adverts don't sell the drink, do they? They sell like the experience. So that's the difference that like Benet's developed in 1919 from everything that he'd learned in the war. So when he opened his office in 1919, the first thing he did was like pronounced that I'm not going to do that old way of advertising. You know, if you need to do this, buy this, uh, we're doing things different, right? That's when like the, the, the advertising spectacle, the modern marketing, all that exploded. Okay. Who were his clients? And do you want to talk about the torches of freedom? Uh, okay. So list of clients, you know, politicians. Well, wait, wait. So what did he do for politicians in regards to advertising, I guess? Okay, so everybody knows the modern political campaign, right? And everybody knows, like, it's, it's like known in the West, isn't it, that if a politician has a bad campaign, they're going to lose an election, right? Or if they're seen to be doing bad or whatever, they'll lose, uh, unless they're like Trump or something like that. Mm -hmm. But generally, it's, it's like the term electoral suicide, right? Mm -hmm. So... Benes was uh, hired originally in the early 20s to like, clean up the image of uh, Calvin Coolidge, who was running for president, and he like arranged... What was his image like before, and what did he need to clean up? It was just like a stuffy leader, you know, you know just a politician, boring. Politicians didn't have a very good public image, so... Uh, of course they wouldn't. Benes came in and like organised the... Uh, like celebrities to be meeting with the the politicians and he'd like organize these lunches and make sure that the press came right and then all of a sudden the the president's popularity goes up right oh, oh wait so uh, this is so he this is when Calvin Coolidge was not president he had a bad reputation or just a no reputation just like a stuffy image sort of like boring you know okay like, then that okay so then he had to make him some, but something somebody would want to vote for. Exactly, right? And how did he do this? The way to do that is to just like get him seen with the right people, right? So he starts hiring sports stars, film stars, musicians of that era, right? To, to, to come and have breakfast with him. He was the president at the time, right? He was running for re-election. So yeah, he basically just organized celebrities to come uh, and it cleaned up his image. Kind of like how, oh God. Well, just like the American president now, right? He has like the, the NBA team. Cup yeah, wins no, no, no. Then... I was wondering if I really wanted to uh, expose you to this, but let me expose you to this. I have been so shaken by this election. Mm -hmm. It has unveiled the darkest aspects of American culture and the racist, homophobic, ableist, and xenophobic rhetoric is making me ill. Mm -hmm. So what do you think I'm going to do with all this energy and all this rage? I mean... Use your writing, volunteer, use television, you have a television show. That's all a little bit basic. What I ultimately decided on was that the medium for me to express my anger was wrapped music. Hey, hey guys, it's MC Pantsuit. My hobby is rap music, but my passion, defending the nation's baddest grandmother. I'm talking Hillary, Rodham, Clinton. 
I get upset when people say that Hillary needs to smile. She's a strong as person, couldn't even walk a mile. In the heels of this woman had to fight her whole life, defending everything she does to the left and to the right. She's been a lawyer, first lady, senator. So that was the worst example of the celebrity endorsement. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but also, I mean, uh, it does, as much as I was cringing, um, it does raise a good point. I mean, Edward Bernays is like dead now. And I think if he saw that, I think he would be as disgusted as me and you are at how his like industry has become uh, in the modern age. And I think that that video is a definite... Um, <laughs> you know, uh, definitely shows that all of his theory and all of that sort of age of psychoanalysis and all that, it just is a complete fail. So, I mean, yeah, that's all I want with that. <laughs> so he first started out with, okay, so so we're still going through his clients. So some were politicians. Who else were his clients back in the day? Uh, so he worked for like non-profits helping, but like, you know what non-profits are, you know. Money laundering. Yeah, or government like opinion, so to pass certain uh, policies, right? Mm -hmm. Big something wants public opinion on, etc. To change, right? One of those big something was tobacco. So at that time, obviously, smoking was like a man's thing, right? Women didn't smoke; it was seen as unladylike, right? Mm -hmm. So also at that time, it's like the time where women's rights is big, you know, feminism. Mm -hmm. That, that age of that, basically. So Big Tobacco came to Benaz's agency uh, and asked, how do we get women to smoke, basically? That was the question. That, that's that's all Edward Benaz would get asked these questions by capitalists, basically, and he would answer them. That was his job uh, at its most simplest form. So he comes from like the, a Freud background. Uh, so psychoanalysis. He's Freud's nephew, literally Freud's nephew. Yeah, yeah. And it's also that age of psychoanalysis being the the dominant sort of like theory of the day, right? Oh my, now that I think about Freud, it's giving me a different impression of this Torch of Freedom campaign. Well, actually, Freud himself hated his theory being used by fucking capitalists to, to, to make money. So it's quite funny. His own nephew. Yeah, he hated the the how it was being used. But anyway, they hired like a psychoanalysis to work out why women didn't smoke, what would make women smoke, right? Mm -hmm. And how they could encourage women to smoke and break that like social taboo of a, of a woman smoking in public. So basically, he just hired women in New York during like Easter parade at a certain point along the parade route where he'd like pre-planned the press to be they were to all like reveal a cigarette. They were to pull it out of like their corset or whatever, pull a cigarette and all light it up at the, the moment on his command, right? So mm -hmm. basically planned that and the, the, the modern sort of like marketing campaign was made in that moment. And the New York Times wrote it up like it was like a natural campaign, kind of like. Yeah, a, yeah. Yeah. Like a show of defiance because he'd hired like loads of feminists icons at the time um, to do it and, and not said anything to anybody. So nobody knew it was coming. And it was just like as if these women had planned this act of defiance against the patriarchy. Right. And how dare they Easter parade bust out their cigarette and show men what for. Right. Their mm -hmm. torches of freedom. That's what they were smoking. That's what the press put down. 
you know, and as soon as that happened overnight, women are smoking. And, and now that's that social taboo broken, right? And a win for psychoanalysis. But, and everyone has lung cancer and a loss for public health and whatever. Thank God, uh, nearly 100 years later, that smoking's on the way out. Uh, it didn't kinda. last very long, did it? Again, a victory for psychoanalysis that didn't, and capitalists that didn't really last. I mean, it did last. It's not on its way out. Millions smoke, come on. Yeah, but it's going down, isn't it? Less is and it? less smoke, people smoke it. Definitely. It is in Europe anyway. I don't know about the US, but it is here. Um. Okay, and then was it him who did not trust democracy or who brought up the idea of a managed democracy? Well, the whole idea is that, like, they've got to control the masses, right? Yeah, or else they might accidentally do the Bolshevik revolution and you might... Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. That's the crux of it. It's basically that, so, yeah. So he just helped work on the managed democracy yeah like his his background and his contacts like because you know it's none of this is like a grand scheme where it's been written down on paper it's just that like we have to protect our hegemony so what do we do right and they all work together at that time to do it so because he's got contacts who are from his time in the cpi right and from his time helping presidents get elected and you know companies like you know the tobacco the shady clients like tobacco companies and you know, not profit. Uh, Rockefellers, a foundation. Yeah, exactly. You know, how, how making these, giving these people a good public image, you know, naturally he becomes part of that world, right? And it's the time of psychoanalysis telling uh, the Western bourgeois elite that like, if they want to maintain power, they have to control the masses. And the masses are, you know, Freud's theory is that like, there's a little man inside your head. And if you don't, beating back you're going to turn into some sort of deviant right that's the whole thing with freud's theory so psychoanalysis is the idea of beating back that little demon inside the mass's head because they act quote unquote irrational right you've got to understand when the bourgeoisie are talking about society acting irrationally it's like what you said they might do a bolshevik that's an irrational action to the capitalist class right so, so they have to stop the masses acting, quote unquote, irrationally. And that's where public relations and propaganda and, and all that comes in. Uh, and modern marketing, um, it's all linked. So it's not that one day they sat down and were like, oh, you know, we have to control everybody. It's just they, they're believing in a theory that they have to anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Edward Bernays said like his, I guess, philosophy of advertising was to shift America from a needs culture to a desire culture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did he do it? Well, I would say so. I mean, look how um, look how consumerist the world is now compared to how it was before the 19th century. Like I say, before advertisements were very much, if you need this thing, you know, if, if your trousers fall down, here is a belt, right? Mm-hmm. That was how advertisers worked. <laughs> if, you, if your trousers don't fit, buy this belt, right? But the way Bernays twisted it is women will laugh at you if your trousers don't fall down. So you need this belt to make sure that you feel happy, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's, just, it's just that switch. And, and Bernays did make that happen because, like I say, Coca-Cola does not go, here's tasty brown drink. 
it goes, drink our drink, it'll make you feel like this. Okay, so in the 1920s, the big banks could kind of just do whatever they wanted, and they started funding the huge department stores. Yes. Um, and Edward Bernays was hired to promote these. Um, yeah, yeah. What? How did he do it? What did he do? Well, if you look at, I mean, if you look, do you ever look at pictures of a hundred years ago and people have like one one set of clothes, like mm. right? So part of this new age of mass democracy right is and, and this idea that if you don't give people nice things to please their little inner inner child or whatever they're going to turn into a, a revolutionary violent whatever right so part of that idea is the idea of modern consumerism so and like you say that that sort of birth of the department store he, he's hired by the shops to to do that and it's done in like a it's not done in like a nefarious way really it's done in just like the way it's done today putting on like window displays and you know making sure celebrities are wearing those products and pushing like individualism if you want to stand out you need to be seen in this hat right oh you've got such and such personality well why are you not dressing in the correct you know do you know what i mean it's it's just that it's 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 the principles of advertising i guess so that's how he did it. Okay, so um, I guess the World War II happened, but his most important job happened after World War II, where I guess he was trying to convince Americans that uh, freedom and American business were hand in hand. How did he do it? What did he do? And what happened? Yeah, so there's that strange period, isn't there? in between World War One and World War Two, where like America, the American elite doesn't really know what to do with themselves. They're mm-hmm. kind of like the elite, but they've not inherited, you know, the pound is still the number one currency and stuff. And uh, Britain has all its colonies. Yeah, yeah. So they're not the leaders of the world yet. But World War Two is when they just inherited that, right? At the end of World War Two, they yeah they take over the British. It. <laughs> yeah, the, well, the dollar becomes the the number one currency, right? So yeah, but this is when Benazir's job does switch from being about making sure Macy's sells the latest fashions to making sure that like U.S. imperialist coups happen and making sure that Americans are on board with it, right? So, um, yeah, uh, which example do you want to talk about? Arbenz, or is there a different example? Well, the most famous is the uh, United Fruit Company, isn't it? This is um, happening right after World War, right after or a little after World War II? Like- it's a little after, isn't it? It's So the Guatemalan Revolution happened straight at the, no, started before World War II ended, I believe, just before, right? Mm-hmm. And it finished about 10 years later, so about 1954, 55, right? And like a, not, even, not even a communist government, right? He was a social... Okay, Arbenz, the only thing... This is funny. Yeah, it, Arbenz was put into power. And I'll just do a quick thing on Arbenz. He was a... Yes. He was kind of like AMLO. And his only thing was, yeah, no more like plantation slavery, a little mm-hmm. bit of land reform. He was still okay with businesses, and he 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 was a lot like AMLO in Mexico right now. Mm-hmm. Basically, just like a exactly like AMLO, I'd say. Yeah, like a, a social democratic kind of thing. 
Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and even now you can see the U.S. has already tried to coup AMLO twice with massive failure. And the U.S. is like offended by the two things he's done to like stand up to the U.S., which is give Evo Morales um, asylum and then ship stuff to Cuba. But so Arbenz is uh, the elect- democratically elected president of Guatemala, who has a huge popular mandate especially with the peasants, which are a lot of them. So go ahead, talk about Bernays' role in that coup. Right, so in the years preceding up to the actual coup happening, they had to build support in Guatemala for anti-government forces, and they had to build support in America for the overthrowing of uh, said government, but without it being just like, here's us committing imperialism, right? So it's got to be um, a threat to the US has to be manufactured, right? That old story. So this is why it's a good example because this is them finding their feet doing that. And of course, this is that age of like Alan Dulles being in charge of... Everything, the the state. Yeah, exactly. One of the Dulles brothers was in charge of the State Department and the other was opened up the CIA. I can't remember who's who, but they're both. But it's that age, right? It's that age of like that grand age of US intelligence and statehood or whatever, you know, where they were at their strongest in terms of ballsiness, I'd say. Anyway, so they hired Benes as like public relations um, because like we just said a minute ago, they're not a communist government, but in order to get the American people on board, they have to generate the idea that, He's a hardline communist, right? So that's that's the idea of hiring um, Benes to, to like, you know, exaggerate how much of a communist Guatemala is, basically. How did he do that? So one of the things that he did, apparently, is some American diplomats went to Guatemala on a visit. And during that visit, he... This is like the original NGO, right? So during that visit, he paid a load of... Guatemalan government haters, fascists, whatever you want to call it, right, to to form a protest along the route that these American diplomats were going to take, right? And and these American diplomats were going to meet the opposition. They weren't going to meet Arbenz, they were going to meet the opposition. So they were going to drive through the city, they were going to see anti-communist protest along the way, uh, and it was all manufactured. So these American uh, politicians go back to America and believe that the country is hardline communist, and therefore... Wait, 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 I don't... Okay, slow down. Um, so, I don't understand... Why would seeing anti-communist protests make them think it's a hardline communist government? That's just the weird thing. Because they're protesting against the government, right? And American intervention's needed, right? Oh, to free Guatemala. Okay, so... Yeah, exactly, to free Guatemala. So it's just... But they, they're... They're creating these events out of nowhere because obviously the country isn't hardcore communist and there isn't these. It kind of reminds me of like one of those exactly like Maidan, like a, a color revolution, um, except for communism. Like well, it basically is. It literally is that. But the, so, the, his, so his idea was basically the first color revolution. Yeah, but like the fir- this is the creation of propaganda leading up to that actual event that happens do you know what i mean it's just they put on a show in the country for diplomats so in the show american diplomats are going to meet the opposition of arbens who are 
definitely anti-communist and fascist or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then those, <laughs> those, those diplomats they meet will be like, oh, you know, we're so oppressed. Look at the protests that are happening. You know, the people are against the government. Do you know what I mean? You've just driven past a protest. Oh, he was trying to show that Arbenz is oppressive. And because these, but then if you're, the fact that these protesters are protesting and not dead sounds like he's not oppressive. <laughs> well, yeah, that's just, that's just when like chess starts happening, right? But that, that's, that's basically the, the point. So they were manufacturing consent, basically, straight away, straight after the war, back to quote unquote psychological warfare. Okay, so okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. So the first thing is American diplomats see these protests inside of Guatemala, and then they think, "Oh my God, um, uh, uh, this is a, a fate of some sort of horrible dictatorship." And I don't know what the word communist means. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and don't forget that the reason why they're having to trick like American politicians is because this is all being like done covertly by the United Fruit Company, which is a, a banana plantation owning imperialist you know, capitalist corporation that's having to trick the American government and state into helping them in Guatemala, basically. Because of the land reform. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget that both the Dulles brothers were lawyers for this company uh, when they did the 1928 Columbia massacre. They have stock in it. So there's a lot of um, interests circling around within the government. Um, so they hire Bernays. How long between the... Uh... It goes on for about two years, the, the propaganda campaign. Loads of stuff. Um, another thing was, um, I think they started like a radio station. So like the original like Radio Free Asia type thing, Radio Free Liberty Europe idea. So the Bernays, um, uh, okay, it was hired. And then one of his ideas was to start a radio station in Guatemala. And what would this radio station do? Uh, it would broadcast government propaganda and it would broadcast American versions of re rebel events and stuff like that, right? So, Is there a civil war going on right now? Because I'm confused about Guatemala. I don't understand. There's not a civil war going on, but this is that, that point. Why is there a rebel? Because they're... Uh, oh, they are... wait, wait, wait. The US wants to create... Uh, like an, a rebel army is like the contrast. No, because what? this is during the revolution, right? The, the revolution was 1944 to 1954. So Benes was working for the US like between the end of the war up until uh, the end of the Guatemalan revolution. And then at the end of the Guatemala revolution, uh, that's when the US coup happens, right? So, so it, the the U.S. gets involved. So, the Guatemalan Revolution is a civil war in Guatemala. Yes. Okay. And the U.S. takes the side of the opposition to to Arbenz, right? Because they don't like his land reforms, and it ends when it ends with the 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 coup, doesn't it, against Arbenz? So, Arbenz gets elected president in 1950. And he wants to do uh, agrarian reform after he's elected yes. president. So uh, in 1950, there's no more war. And there's this government democratically elected with the constitution of Guatemala that's like legal, blah, 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 fair, whatever, the right, right? Yeah, yeah. So now because he wants to do agrarian reform, which is like giving people who are basically in these plantations living as slaves, 
their own land, that means that probably United Fruit's going to have to pay like, I don't know, 10, one cent more for a banana or something really ridiculous. Yeah, well, also, also he, um, I think he basically allowed or legalized or whatever the, the Communist Party there as well, which that was when the US like ramped up their attacks because it was the Cold War as well, right? So they they had the communists on the doorstep sort of thing, right? Ah, okay. So he, it seems like, okay, I'm just quickly reading up. It seems like he legalized all parties. <laughs> yeah, and the Communist Party being one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put, 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 put the so to speak, up the US. Uh, that's when the United Fruit Company, who Benes is already their marketing dude for, right? He's been their marketing guy for like 20 years before or something. Uh, that, that's when the United Fruit Company have to start convincing the US government that they need help in Guatemala, right? Uh, 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 well, I mean, they don't because they have John Foster and Ellen Dulles, so <laughs> in the US government for them, but... <laughs> Yeah, but that's when basically they're scared that the the Guatemalan government is going to clamp down on their business in well, Guatemala. I, I mean, yeah, by clamp down, we mean like they have to pay one cent more per banana or something ridiculous. Well, whatever, and and the and their exploitative labor, whatever, and the current practices, maybe okay. So now, okay, the, so the first thing is um, they wanted to first pretend that he was a communist at their doorstep. Okay. Did they also like to pretend that he was like supported by Russia too? Well, yeah, because the Cold War is happening, so that's part of the whole mystique, isn't it? That like if if Guatemala happens to to fully go communist, it was it was more that Arbenz is a communist sympathizer, right? And he's doing nothing to stop communist influence attacking poor American business interests in Guatemala, and also at the same time. If if Guatemala was to become socialist and communist, the, the Soviets would also gain influence in um, mm-hmm. South America, and that would also become a huge threat to the US. Right? That that whole thing. Okay, that's like a long shot to me. Like I would not believe that that part, but I understand they don't want Guatemala to be communist. So, what was the propaganda campaign? In the U.S. Well, in the U.S., what do you mean? Yeah, you said Bernays hired, was to hired to do public relations and he helped do the public. Well, his, his job for the company, like, originally was to, like, make bananas popular to eat, right? So mm-hmm. he, he just, like, used psychoanalysis and all that sort of stuff to make bananas healthier than they sounded and all sorts of stuff. So his idea was to show that bananas were cool and you should eat them. Yeah, yeah, basically did the exact same technique with bananas with what he'd done with uh, Calvin Coolidge, which is just to like make sure celebrities were eating bananas. It's like that Got Milk campaign. Remember the Got Milk campaign to make people drink milk? They just get celebrities to drink some milk. Simple, right? So it's just that. So he's working for the United Fruit Company for their entire, you know, time at the top basically Mm -hmm. so at that time during the 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 guatemala years his job was to carry out psychological warfare on behalf of the u.s like cia and the united fruit company at the same time because obviously they got a shared interest right and their interest was to convince the u.s government to to back everything outward facing 
and also to convince the American government that what the US was doing was it for the safety of America, democracy, you know, all ah. these vague, whatever concepts, right? So he, he made sure that, you know, just like when you're watching CNN today and they, they make out that Guaido is... Uh, okay, let's just go through bit by bit. So then by 1943, Middle America Information Bureau... Okay, okay. So the Middle America Information Bureau is like basically an NGO that existed run by Bernays, which was to to push the idea to the average American that there was a communist sat in Guatemala ready to destroy America, right? So they would supply, they would do that, you know, that thing that Orwell was doing for the British Empire in India, basically disseminating information to Indian academics and journalists to then disseminate to the public to make it look like it was academic slash journalistic slash public opinion. So that that was basically his job for the 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 MI the MAIB, the Middle America Information Bureau, which was to basically write press releases to journalists, make sure that universities were publishing articles on you know authoritarianism in Guatemala and all that sort of stuff. Okay, so the first thing is in the book Biography of an Idea, he argued that Arbenz considered the anti-communist, the fascist movement <laughs> subversive and openly accepted Reds as allies. Mm-hmm. Well, this is that legalizing of the Communist Party, isn't it? Ah, okay. So because of that, he's got to go... U.S. Secretary of State Dulles takes the rostrum to urge united action by the Americas to outlaw international communist intervention in the Western Hemisphere. This conference was shocked by the dastardly attack on members of the United States Congress by those who professed to be patriots. They may not themselves have been communists, but they had been subjected to the inflammatory influence of communism, which avowedly uses extreme nationalism as one of its tools. That, that film is, is also part of the deal because that, that idea that it's not the such and such I have a problem with, it's just, that, it's just their government, right? This is the creation of that idea to be able to manufacture consent Oh, it's not the Iraqi people I hate, it's just their government, right? So that film is to put a positive spin on uh, the country, the people of Guatemala, but at the same time, it's to, it's, that film is an MAIB film. So they will put, they make the country look good, but smear their political system because they've got to try and separate the two. This is why when the academic, when, when the U.S. senators go a bit later on, they're seen to see anti-government protests because it's to paint that idea, right, that there's a difference between the people and the government. You can exploit that difference. An article in The Nation magazine written by this quote-unquote anonymous American writer entitled Communism in the Caribbean? Question mark. And that reminds me a lot of like the first mm-hmm. article that Time wrote about Saddam Hussein is like, did he do 9-11? Question mark. So then Bernie's sponsored trip coincided with violent. Pro- so these were violent protests. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't just protests. It was the violence. Like people were getting 
it was like Maidan where people were getting killed on the streets that these snowflake Americans witnessed. Yeah, but they were set up violent, right? So then if Bernice could not take, he was in the spirit because on June 27, 1954, he achieved what no other peer before him had. In the late hours of evening, a pre-recorded broadcast went out to Guatemalan people with the tone, with the voice of Arben saying, workers, peasants, patriots, Guatemala is going through a hard trial. A cruel war against Guatemala has been unleashed by the United Fruit. And Arbenz had resigned in this fake broadcast. He had ended the broadcast. And so people in Guatemala actually thought that Arbenz had resigned and things went haywire, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just like Radio Free Asia. Okay. So by then they got the psycho ex-military guy, Carlos Castillo Armas, to come and do a real coup. And our bins had to flee. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's what ends the revolution. Wow. So basically, it's interesting. Well, it's basically the playbook, isn't it, for every imperialist regime change? Yeah, this is exactly like Maidan or like what they tried to do with Juan Guaido that did not work. Or like literally every anything mm-hmm. you can, the Romania, Hungary, I mean... All of it. This is exactly, this is literally how to do a color revolution. This is exactly how they did the color revolution everywhere else. I, I mean, this is literally Maidan. Maidan happened exactly like this. And the radio broadcasts are like a key, a key technique that they carried on for, like you say, all of Project Gladio, all of like the efforts against the Soviet Union, all against China, you know, broadcasting radio into the, I mean, they openly say it. If you watch that Gate of Heavenly Peace documentary on Tiananmen students, they talk about oh, how we were broadcasting American radio into students. Like, that's this. Wow. Just, you know, repeat, repeat, repeat. Voice of liberation. Okay. And I guess I see this literally with regards to incubator babies. Um, Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction whatever the lie in Serbia was, uh, the current uh, thing about how there's no Nazis in Ukraine. It's just the same exact tactic. Um, so this is, I feel like this topic has only become more relevant. And this was his crown achievement. Is that it? Um, in terms of like perfecting U.S. imperialism, yeah, definitely. As new friend of the pod, Edward, said, propaganda is the executive arm of the invisible government. Help put some muscle in that arm by subscribing to our Substack. Go to historically.substack.com and subscribe today. Also, check us out on YouTube and Twitch with Late Nights with Lennon. Get commentary and trolling from 100 years ago by the absolute master of the form and see how little has changed. It is what is to be done. Um, is there anything else about Bernays that you want to talk about or any other topics that you quickly want to talk about? Um, I mean, it's important because for me, it shows that politicians, not the be all and end all, right, of, of Western democracy, right? The, the capitalist, the United Fruit Company want people to see politicians as their leaders, but it's not really, is it? it the United Fruit Company are. And they will hire people like Edward Bernays to create that link between United Fruit Company 
and politics. And when you see people in the West saying, oh, I don't trust politics uh, because they've all been bought, right? Well, they're right. When people say that, oh, politicians have all been bought. Well, this is it. Even when politicians are bought, corporations can also, it seems like, find a way irrelevant of what the politicians want to do and get their way, I guess. Well, yeah, this is, this is, it's that idea, isn't it, that it's the concept of the state. Now, what does the state exist for um, under bourgeois setup? Set well, it exists... To protect one class over another. Well, not just to protect one class over another, but to protect, to maintain just the, the order, right? So this United Fruit example and what Edward Bernays was working out is how that order is protected, right? How the US, how the concept of the state to the imperialist is utilised. That's what he's doing. Now, because of mass democracy, they can't utilise the state in the way that they used to utilise it. Well, like 300 years ago, when India, England just rode in with the guns and shot up everyone. Yeah, exactly. And then either just didn't say anything or wrote some... Use that tribe to to create some mystical story about the event, right? For for purposes of nation building. So, but Edward Bernays is the difference. He, he's he's the imperialists working out how to be imperialists in the modern age. And th- there's a definite link between capitalist politics and capitalist marketing. Now, people know that Nestle, uh, Coca Cola, etc. You know, all these corporations, United Fruit Company, you know, they had to change their name because of their image. All these corporations, everybody knows that they're evil, but they have to hire hire these companies to work on their PR, right? And they, to work on their PR, they use propaganda. People always say, oh, well, it was the Nazis who perfected propaganda and all that. Well, no, it wasn't. It was people like Edward Bernays who perfected it before. But the Nazis just used their, the same techniques. That, that's all you're seeing, right? Well, the Nazis only went on full blast so that their story got heard more often, which is one of the tactics. It's turned up to an extreme, isn't it? Yeah, but Edward Bernays created a new reality. The Nazis never managed to invent reality, in my opinion. That's the difference. Um, So, yeah, I guess to understand the state, to understand economics, to understand the position making that states make sometimes, I think you have to understand this sort of behavior that goes on. If you don't understand why the US went to Iraq, really, you're going to be fooled by, <laughs> exactly, but you're going to be fooled by that like vague idea of democracy, right? Oh, okay. now, I have another question. Right now, okay, back then at least, while Edward Bernays was inventing reality, I mean, no one in the Eisenhower administration believed the reality uh he invented they kind of knew that they had to send the shock troops in like train them in the school of america's whatnot blah 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 but right now it seems like people in the biden administration believe the reality invented for them by the millions of ngos and fake news people that the ned put forward are we seeing a moment where They've drank their own Kool-Aid or uh, like that's the part that's kind of weird to me is that it's like I feel like the Biden administration is believing their own Kool-Aid. They're just not like they're. Well, 100 percent, 100 percent. Right. And a good example. 
And that's a difference, I think. Well, a good example of this. Well, no, even Benet's just didn't live long enough to, quote unquote, drink his own Kool-Aid, right? If he'd have lived to now, he would be the same. The world wouldn't be any different had he not died because this is that thing about Marx and contradictions of capitalism will always you know, rear their head and socialism is, is inevitable. So the, the imperialist has always got to fight back against socialism, whereas socialism hasn't got to fight back against capitalism in terms of... Reality. Reality, exactly. So that's what it is. You're exactly right. They have drunk their own Kool-Aid. And a good example of this is psychoanalysis as a whole. Anna Freud, who was Freud's daughter, who was like the daughter, basically was the daughter of psychoanalysis and was alive at the time, was uh, alive at the time of um, the height of capitalism as well. And she was practicing psychoanalysis on people. And she sort of had some clients that were her friend's kids. And she had apparently been there like psychoanalysis nurse for their entire life. And these kids were supposed to have, they were supposed to turn out the perfect human, right? Because they'd been psychoanalyzed all their lives. And Anna Freud had got the perfect answer using psychoanalysis. They were going to all turn out the way that their parents wanted and the way society wanted, et cetera, et cetera. And the kids didn't. One of them like committed suicide or something. So the fact that that happened to them proved that psychoanalysis is a big failure, which is why now we are seeing them drink the Kool-Aid because you can't, like you said, you can't just create a reality and then will it into existence. It has to exist. Uh, well, well, great. Now the Pentagon press secretary says that the situation in Donbass Ukraine dynamic is that there's a lot of back and forth between the Ukraine and Russian forces. But when I look at this live map, which is a pro-Ukrainian source, um, I don't see this back and forth. But it's like, and and they're not preparing for, I, I guess, if there's no back and forth. Like, you'd think their strategy would be... Uh, the fact that they're dumping like billions in weapons to go, to not go anywhere like makes me think they believe there's a rectal army that's actually fighting um and Russia's just like not encircling the whole Donbass region well think about think about it like this right so at the time of the united fruit coup benes was personally in charge of building up the reputation of the opposition who was also the primary supplier of press releases to all the like Associated Press, Reuters-type press agencies that would spread that news around the world, right? So he was in charge of that, and that goes on today, doesn't it? Every, everybody knows that the mass media is being told what to print by certain government interest groups. So the exact same behaviour is going on, but the difference is, it doesn't seem to work today, does it? But it worked in Benazer's time. Okay, so right now the Biden administration bought $618 million worth of weapons to send to no one in Ukraine since it's not getting through the blockade that Russia has via air. And Russia got rid of the like the train lines, <laughs> so it's not getting through. But they believe this enough to buy these weapons, and so... And CNN people, that's to me the main difference is that so they can't 
if you knew the truth of what is going on as opposed to drinking your own Kool-Aid, you would be using a different strategy because now you'd realize, oh, bleep, okay, we can't mm-hmm. get any weapons through. Nothing's going to get through. And there's really no government outside of Kiev. And so, I mean, you might want to do a different strategy strategy uh, to encircle Russia. Maybe, I don't know. There's like, you can't do Belarus. They tried, uh, whatever. The, 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 I'm sure they can figure out. Uh, uh, there's actually not much. Well, this is an interesting point. Um, which is kind of like a product of these people, I would say. And that's like the difference between this uh, manufacturing of consent versus like realism. We're, we're living in an age, aren't we, now where realism is starting to become like a uh, an ideology that even the West is starting to use because it's having to save itself. Now, because of the contradictory nature of capitalism, realism also doesn't really fit on capitalism so it will only be a stopgap right realism in the hands of a communist can shatter the truth of 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 all imperialist actions right but capitalists using realism to you know the the contradiction is a contra- the act is a contradiction in itself because you're applying realism to capitalism which is the most illogical and unrealistic from the point of view of the proletariat of course well, just in, in the majority, let's talk about the majority, not just the proletariat. The majority is, is unrealistic. The, the point of view of the non-bourgeois. Yes, you're, you're right. That's, that's, that's why the Kool-Aid is being drunk a lot more, because even if the bourgeois wants to uh, try and apply realism to save their skin, it's still not going to work because, you know, Marx was right. That's the fundamental point, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, right now it's to uh, there's nothing they can do because it's like... You can see Russia is making a little cauldron around the Donbass area, like where it starts around the Dnieper River, and then the troops there with, are going to be stuck. They'll either have to surrender or die. Most of them will surrender, and that's it. Like there's nothing the West can do. But they'll just they'll just switch the they'll just switch the news off, won't they? And and bring up some new story to try and manipulate people away from it. No, no. Well, no, because the West has uh, sure they'll they'll switch off the news, but they've lost the idea. Well, they can no longer. I mean, Ukraine's gone. They're not going to be able to use Ukraine as like a NATO base or whatever. So, uh, so they're in some way. Okay, so. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Hold on. So what you're trying to say is, like, in the case of Guatemala, Benes and the capitalist class won in terms of they convinced the American public to support their imperial interests, which also won, right? So they got a double win. But yeah. nowadays, they can only get, like, a, a, a single win at best, which is to convince their own population of this mystical thing that's happening abroad. But in reality, they're losing that mystical thing that's abroad, like Ukraine. You know, yeah. they're, they're losing on the ground, but the people in the West are convinced that they're winning. Some people in the West. Which seems counterproductive, really, doesn't it? Yeah. And ultimately, I mean, it's not. But like I said, if they had a handle on reality, maybe a few uh, in early February or something, they could have done something different before it's too late. But that's what is very strange. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I do think that the way that the, the West built its ideology and uh, mantra however you want to look at it um its foundation ideological foundation of in the last from that 1901 you know its response to the bolsheviks that 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 
World War One and World War Two gap, and then that post-war gap of the US taking over the world, basically. It's just not, it's not sustainable. And I think that, that you know, I don't think they realize that their time is up because of, they've like signed their own death warrant because they, they've drunk their own Kool-Aid, like you say. It's basically that. It's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, I'm watching CNN. And um, so they don't realize that they're only interviewing Nazis. They're not interviewing people. Like I've but interviewed. The point is, right? If, if they admit that they are interviewing a Nazi, they've got to admit something, something. And then by the time... Wait, no, no, no. It's not even that. They're not aware that they have not interviewed people, really. Like, there is a big difference. Oh, yeah. There's definitely that. There's definitely that. Yeah, I'm with you. They're so ignorant to their own propaganda. Yeah. Yeah, they're literally... They think they're interviewing random Ukrainians. And I've interviewed... Like, on Telegram... Uh, I've interviewed more real people and uh, than anyone else on CNN or anything like that. So it is, that's what I mean. There is like a big shell that they've put around that they're not aware that it exists. Mm -hmm. I'll just uh, finish and I'll read you a quote okay. that he wrote in 1928. Who? Benes. Okay. Uh, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are moulded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. This is a logical result of the way in which our democratic society is organised, aka capitalism. Vast numbers of human beings must cooperate in this manner if they are to live together uh, as a smoothly functioning society. In almost act every day of our lives, whether in the sphere of politics or business, in our social conduct or our ethic thinking, we are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who understand the mental processes and social patterns of the masses. It is they who pull the wires of which control the public mind. I agree. Well, um, Thank you so much. Um, Mango's not available on Twitter anymore. So tell us about where to find you on Telegram. No, you can, you can follow us on um, Telegram at t.me forward slash Mango Press. And of course, um, we've got our website at uh, www.mango-press.com and also Patreon. Yep. And you guys have become, uh, I mean, uh, since Telegram, like I've been going to you for the... Like, you've guys scooped CNN often. Like, you've been scooping a lot of big networks often, so you've become the primary source for my anti for my international news. We've got some fast admins on that chat that will grab sources. There's a, you know, there's a team that are running the, new, the live news ticker on there now, and some of the stuff, I'll get messages off people like, oh, I saw that this got, and I'll be like, oh, right, did it? I'll look back. Oh, wow, nice. So yeah. it's great. Follow them on Telegram for like they're good at breaking news. Thanks. Thanks for having me as well. Well, thank you. And this is an important thing on propaganda. So and I, so and in the West, I believe there's a degree for propaganda called marketing or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Marketing, graphic design, all that sort of, is basically this. And I think if you are into history and imperialism and socialism and, you know, all that sort of stuff, understanding this will just 
make you know, make you connect things that you'd not connected before. And it's like, wow, you know, I didn't realize that. So, well, thank you for coming and come back for whenever you want to talk about something of whatever you want to talk about. Um, with sure. that, um, well, thank you, Fran. Music for this show is done by Rectex. You can find him on SoundCloud and on Spotify. W-R-E-C-K-T-E-C-H. And thank you for listening to our show.